Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Mitch, and for this episode, we have a fantastic returning guest of which many of you are familiar with. Rich Howard is back. And the topic of this episode will be Alien Life. Along the way, we're going to talk about a new tabletop RPG called Descent into Midnight that Rich has been working on with some other fantastic people. And because in this episode we talk about a couple specific aberrations as well, if you are a Patreon dragon, you can head over to Patreon this week and check out a couple different versions of some familiar aberrations from the D&D Monsters Manual that you can download and use in your home games. But before we jump into the meat, as always, we have a five-star review that needs a shout-out. This one comes from Apple Podcast. It's from Chaos Spiral and is entitled Fantastic Resource Five Stars. I don't do podcasts, but I decided to look one up for some inspiration. I stumbled onto this one, and I haven't been able to stop binging them since. Great guests and fantastic ideas. Worst thing about being a DM is not being able to talk with others about great ideas because they all are in your game. This fills that gap and then some. Great job. Love the show. Thanks so much, Chaos Spiral, for that fantastic review. We really, really appreciate it. Well, without any further ado, let's get into the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. So for this week on The Meet, we are joined by a returning guest. You know him. You love him. Uh, he was our first official guest. Rich Howard is back on the show, host of the Whelmed, host of Whelmed, the Young Justice Files podcast, as well as concept lead of Descent into Midnight, which we're going to talk a little bit more about. But first of all, Rich, welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. Can you believe it's been like four years, I think, since that first episode aired? That's, That's so crazy. It's like yeah. February of 2015. Yeah, putting it into that kind of perspective, it's, uh, it's a weird feeling. It is very yeah. strange. And going back and listening to it, it's pretty fun. It, it makes me laugh. <laughs> I'm sure. I feel like Neil and me would have a more difficult time <gasps> enjoying it, is uh, not. it because we'd be like, oh. Not as great edited as we would no. have liked, but <laughs> I, remember I think I was... most podcasters out there understand that feeling. I was recording it with uh, with my my iPhone <laughs> earpiece okay. sitting on my bed trying yes. to get everything to work, and now we have virtual backgrounds awesome. and yep. headsets. It's Those great. are the days, man. Those are the days. <laughs> Rich, we already mentioned it, and I, I could probably speak to it as much as you could, but that would just be ridiculous. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on, and of course- Descent into Midnight. Yeah, absolutely. 
so, of course, uh, I'm the co-host of uh, Whelm, the Young Justice Files podcast, uh, of which uh, one gentleman here is the producer and editor as well. That Mitch, be... you do a great job on that not show. Me. Okay. <laughs> I'll take the credit for it, but I'm not, I'm not the one doing the work. Uh, in addition to that, I am the concept lead of a Powered by the Apocalypse engine-powered game called Descent into Midnight. And uh, in addition to my concept lead and, and design work, I have our design lead is Taylor Livingston uh, from the Leviathan Files and Riverhouse Games, who is absolutely brilliant. And our uh, project lead uh, and co-designer is Richard Kreutz Landry, the origami gamer. Um, so he, and who also does some editing work for us on Whelmed as well. Uh, Descent into Midnight is a game in which you are playing alien aquatic creatures in an advanced civilization on an alien world that has never been touched by humanity at all. The advanced technology of this underwater civilization is based on bioengineering and psionics. So you're not going to find big metal submarines and humanish technology there. Uh, our goal with the game is to inspire people to think about how a civilization like this can exist in something with something things that are not human at all. So we have no set species, we have no set metropolis that you live in, and we have no set corruption. Uh, the characters are playing psychic trained guardians that are defending their community, um, their friends, their family, from some either physical, existential, social, or all of the above corruption. And that corruption could be in games in the past because the corruption is brought to the table in each game is created by the players at the table during basically, you know, character generation session zero. Um, that corruption has been everything from literally Cthulhu waking up <laughs> Uh, to things as subtle as um, a a panicky need for um, kind of selfishness and defense because of a lack of resources. Um, pollution has been involved. Like, we've had all kinds of things. Um, and sometimes it's just kind of more of an existential, we don't know what it is yet, um, but it's affecting the culture that we create. And because we have no set metropolis and we have no set species, people are bringing to the table mind-blowing concepts and ideas um, people are using the game to actually really, <laughs> apparently, question the idea of what is a character. So we have had what we expected, which were things like, oh, I want to play an octopus. You know, I want to play a squid. Or I'm going to play a mashup of sea lion front body with a squid lower body or whatever. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I get that. I had a player at Gen Con say he wanted to play I the Psychic Reservoir in which the regrets of people who have found grace and peace go into. I'm like, great. Who's your cousin? <laughs> right? Cause, and the cousin and his mom all came into it. So he was laughing. He was like, I can't be the only, you know, manifested concept in this whole city. There's got to be more of us. Um, so, and, you know, somebody here played uh, the psychic. The, the, the... What was it? The echo, basically, I was a dolphin that got some accident, and so then I was just the echolocation of the dolphin. So then you knew if I was either there or not there because you could tell. Right. Pretty but classic. Like, I had no physical body because I got blown right. up at some point. Right. So uh, from the character generation that people bring to the table with whatever, we tell people, bring the only thing you got to bring to the table 
couple of dice, pencil, and whatever thing that stuck out at you when you watched that documentary that one time when you were seven that either horrified you or fascinated you that you can't get out of your mind, bring it to the table, own it, put it into the culture. Uh, it's been it's been an incredible experience. There's uh, It's more than I could have possibly imagined having a degree in marine biology. We have pretty much every single game that I've run. There's been someone who says, I don't know anything about marine sciences. And it's like, it's all fine. You know, it's use, use science as inspiration. You don't need to, but it's an alien world and there's psionics and there's all that kind of stuff. You want to play a tuna, play a tuna. He's got enough telekinesis to move things around. It's perfectly fine. It's a very Dark Sun Athos kind of a thing where everybody has a little bit of psionic power to compensate for these narrative narrative issues. But inevitably, that person who says they don't know anything about marine biology brings some bizarre thing that no one else at the table has ever heard about to the table. And they'll describe like, oh, well, there's this thing that I heard about. And of course, they think it's common knowledge because they saw it on that documentary that one time. No one else at the table has heard of it. And now the person who said they don't know anything about marine science is literally teaching people at the table marine science. It's actually, it, it's just an incredible experience. And the, the emotional impact of the game has been also something more because of the, because people really push the envelope to where they feel comfortable on things like the corruption and how they relate to their community and this thing that they've created. Um, it's been an amazing experience. So, so my initial reaction to everything that you just shared, Rich, is that number one, like this is it. Like if you have been listening to the Dungeon Masters block from the beginning, first of all, thank you for for being with us that long. Uh, especially if you were listening to it like as it was airing. Uh, thanks for still being with us. And if you were one of those many people I know that wrote in and got, I'm going to use the word giddy, uh, over a Rich Howard episode, uh, and the sharing of all of his wisdom and knowledge on, uh, marine biology. Like, I feel like this is, this is it after four years, it's here, the game that's going to be right up your alley. If you were one of the ones who was excited. And I also love that, like the, like everything you're saying is taking that idea of player agency and just like turning it up to 11. It's beyond player agency. It's player like campaign, one shot world creation that really just sets that game and it's it's fantastic. I'm I'm super pumped for this. And if you're pumped for it too, the Kickstarter for Descent into Midnight will go live on February 15th. So be sure to head over to Kickstarter and show your support to Rich Howard, to Descent into Midnight, and all of its creators. All ten playbooks that are currently under like under production right now, or, or you know being play tested, are all available right now. So you can go and check it out, look at it, see if you like it, back the Kickstarter, um, and you could even play it if you wanted to before you back the Kickstarter as well. To me, that shows that you guys believe in this game that you're putting out there to be able to go. Go play it before you support and then decide. Uh, that's that's always a, a great a great selling point as far as I'm concerned. Yep. The Kickstarter will also have links uh, to a number of actual plays uh, that we've already had and have already been aired on a number of podcasts. You can go listen to a few things um, or yeah, and, and a list of testimony from, you know, hopefully other podcasters and designers that you that you love and enjoy and see what they think about the game. So before we jump into our topic of the episode, uh, we have, as we always do, a surprise question for you, Rich. This one comes from our Patreon dragon, Mindweave RPG, and the question that we want you to answer is, what 
modern song besides Hotel California would you like to model a D&D encounter after? Oh, interesting. I got one. Usually these surprise questions. Nobody knows how much dead air gets edited out <laughs> of me waiting to answer these Shh. questions. Um, there is a song called, and it's right on, it's right on topic too. There's a song called The Deep by Clipping. It's a song. <laughs> it's so good. It's a song that is a story based on the idea that the slaves, particularly the pregnant women, uh, who were brought over from Africa into the States that were thrown overboard, gave birth to children who adapted themselves to underwater and created an underwater society. And that underwater society now comes in contact with a surface world that's looking for resources, oil, gold, whatever it happens to be. That song blows my mind. And so this idea of, <clears throat> of having a having a society that developed directly because of consequences of some culture, idea, some, some, you know, some civilization that you have on your surface made some choices historically that caused the development of a, of an aquatic society. And then having those two come head to head and, you know, having the quote unquote children of the society, you know, uh, having a lot of moral, in interesting moral, ethical questions and things like that as they come in conflict with one another would be great. That would be much more than an encounter. That's more like a bit of a campaign, but I would I would love it. And there's I think there's a novel series that's being written based on the the setting that that was created. It, it's pretty incredible. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Rich, for uh, that fantastic answer. Very quick answer there. Some sometimes it takes a, a while to think about an answer, but that was that was you were just yeah. on the money with that. I was one. on the money with this one. I'll, I'll make sure that there's like a. I'll give you guys a link to like the Spotify song or whatnot. People can check. Fantastic. It out. So we'll have good. that in the show notes. Uh, and thank you, Mindweave RPG, for that question. Definitely. I will throw out a YouTube comment, which I mean is risky, but it will stay family friendly, which is surprising everyone that has heard the words I have said. But literally the second comment for this song is, I feel like I just watched a movie with my third eye. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So, yes. There you and, go. and to be perfectly blunt, like we're talking about Descent to Midnight a little bit. We talk about this alien world and we talk about what our core idea of a setting is. Having said that, Take the setting and make it yours. Because our psionics are kind of free flow and open, people are like, I would just want to play, I want to create a mermaid society. Great, you can all play mermaids. There's no rule that says you have to play different species, but like you could literally do like the little mermaid, have magic instead of psionics. Like it's a, it's an easy port. We've had people play Star Wars games where they're playing aliens uh, where the psionic powers are the force. Um, but the point is here, you can look at clipping and you can get inspired to, you could run this and the corruption is basically this other society that's coming down and coming in conflict with the society that's been created without any, uh, with almost no modifications. Which is the perfect segue. Keep going, get ready, or well, rather, get ready to keep going. Because the mm. idea, we keep using a term that requires the definition for us to continue the discussion, because we're just saying alien. Um, what does that mean? Things bursting out of your chest would come to mind. I'm, <laughs> But the idea of <laughs> what makes something feel alien so not necessarily the noun but if we could make alien the adjective um whoa i feel like that's detentions and dragons coming out of me right now um i have a preposition the so if we just kind of each want to go around and what is the essence of making something feel alien when you're putting it into your game yeah 
Absolutely. So this is a thing that we were playing with with the Sun to Midnight. Like, what is alien? So if you have a society that has never been touched by humanity, what does that look like? DC, Dungeon Commander, if some of you all are familiar with them. When DC played, DC was, t- was telling us, they said things like, this game, you have to redefine the things that are common everyday things. If you say, my character goes through a door, you, your, your brain has to wrap around the idea of what is a door? Why is a door? What does a door look like for a society in which there's a leviathan the size of a city in the same party as a literal plankton that is psychic in with the party, right? Or someone who is the manifestation of the remnant echolocation of a dolphin that died. Like, what is a door? The, the, the point is, is this thing about rethinking what is like when we, we, we send our party into the mountains, right? You know, you send them to the mines of Moria. We have an idea of what a mine is, what a society could possibly kind of look like. But this idea of alien is what are these things used for, right? What, what, what does the society need? It's deconstructing a, a society based on the, the culture, the species that have created this society and look at their needs and then create something that we don't even understand, right? And that's the most that's the most kind of high concept idea. But then there's also the idea of something like even from D&D's history, the Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. You want to keep it kind of straightforward, mm-hmm. right? In Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, if those people people out there who don't know what this is, um, this was a, a tournament module that was created in the 70s where a crash very early. Yeah, a crashed spaceship had had crashed into some mountain range and had been buried and had been like basically everything in it was in suspended animation until an earthquake or something woke up the the spaceship and these alien creatures from this alien zoo that were in this spaceship were coming out and the party had to go and figure out where these strange bizarre creatures came from. Uh, creatures like the boule came from this game, the the wolf in sheep's clothing, veggie pygmies. Those all came from that particular module. The reason I bring it up is there were these visuals. It was one of the first times that a module had these pictures and visuals. But they would hand you, like the DM would hand you something that looked like a pistol. And you would use your in-game, like out-of-game knowledge to go, oh, well, I hold it like this and I point this end at someone. But the way that the thing is designed, it would break expectations. So you think the pointy end would shoot towards someone, but really it comes out the back end. So you'd pull the trigger or squeeze the handle and you would get shot, right? So it was this idea of taking and playing with expectations from, the, from our world and making the players rethink how they're going to approach something and what it may or may not do. Neil, I think when I think of aliens, especially like putting them into a fantasy setting, the, um, the thing that immediately comes to mind is that these creatures, whether they are intelligent or they're beast-like, just the fact that they either don't didn't come from here or don't belong here. Maybe it's both. Uh, and thinking on D&D terms, I also think of right away aberrations as being the perfect place mm-hmm. to go and, oh, yeah, and look course, at these yeah. aberrations that are in monster manuals, volos, whatever it is, as great examples and ask yourself where where do they come from some of them will have lore that's totally like describing where they come from some of them it's more ambiguous which allows you as the dm and even the ones that that say where they come from right like it's totally up to you in your homebrew world where they come from but to ask yourself 
why where do they come from why are they here are they stuck are they here for a purpose but even the aberration uh, description in the monster manual starts out the very first line says aberrations are utterly alien beings yeah uh, and then it goes on from there but like that's that's a perfect place to start and if you're creating alien creatures for your your homebrew worlds like aberration is the first place that i that i would go to for that inspiration in fact like keeping on that same theme uh the intellect devourer and the mind flayer both started in expedition of the barrier peaks there's a mind flayer that's wandering around and that's the first time that intellect devourer horrified me yes oh yeah <laughs> when it was run for me the first time i was like what is happening right now ah get out of my head <laughs> literally and figuratively both please. yes yeah. uh wow. That's yeah, awesome. so that's I mean that's where these things came from. These these I, this idea I think of aberrations may have started, you know, well back around that that era and idea, you know. And and we think about things like, you know, the Aboleth and the mind flares and, you know, aberrations as these non-human things, but we also often think about them as non-human meaning uh it ends up being non-human meaning evil. Right. Mm-hmm. Like not like so alien that we don't understand their motivations and they really want to climb inside our brain pan. Right. Or they want to eat our brain or whatever it happens to be. And alien doesn't necessarily have to be with that. So playing playing with expectations. Right. In, in Descent into Midnight, we have had horrifying looking creatures. Right. Something inspired by like um, by like a, a deep sea uh, anglerfish with the big teeth and the, you know, or viper fish or you know, these kinds of things. And they're actually very lovely people, right? You know, well, like that was that was mine in the last game. It was a bus-sized creature that was the head of an anglerfish, an eel-like body, but then also because Amelia didn't want centipedes, I put like a thousand legs on it. <laughs> um, and th- but it was just like, but it was just the mode of transportation for the city we built. That's it, right? A sapient, basic, a sapient mode of transportation. It was like trolley right. from um, Daniel Tiger, right? Yeah. Except an anglerfish. Yes. Right. But so my my point is, is also playing with expectations. Like, again, just like this thing with this, like, weapon that's pointing the wrong direction. Take the player's concepts and ideas from the real world that they might immediately jump to and make them question their assumptions. And one of those assumptions could be, like, well, it, Neil did this in the... <laughs> Into the in the Underdark game that we played on uh, Don't Split the Podcast Network, we ran into a mind flare, and every one of us were absolutely horrified. Turns out he was a very nice guy. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it, there and there was a reason why he had been disconnected from the central mind, and there's like a whole story behind him. But it, it I didn't know what to do. Like, I had to check in with my like moral and ethical <laughs> expectations about what this person was. Right. So maybe Alien is also playing with other expectations besides just culture and you know what mode of transportation they use and what do their clothes look like and what is a door but what are their motivations and 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 how is it questioning what you think yeah i think that that that's a good point too often as uh dungeon masters uh especially we we think of like the encounter ideas and like the you know these are going to be an obstacle or just a straight up evil monster uh, but if you're really thinking, okay, how do I introduce like this cool idea of like where am I first going to introduce an awesome idea of aliens in my homebrew setting? Um, as we're talking, I'm like, dude, flumps, 
Flumps are wonderful. Yeah. Like they're a fan. <laughs> Absolutely. They're an aberration. They're what if flumps like in your homebrew world, they perhaps you have to ask yourself, where did these things come from? They're so strange. And yet when you start to go, what is the purpose? Why are they here? Uh, are they from here? Probably not. Uh, yeah. I I could see flumps perhaps being from the same place that beholders and mind flayers came from. Perhaps they came together, but flumps are trying right. to be helpful uh, or perhaps flumps are the secret resistance against the beholders and the mind flayers from taking over uh, your your homebrew world. And they act yeah. as guides to adventurers to to help them keep those those terrifying alien creatures in check. I love the idea of coming in to a coming and encountering a flump and him leading you back to like his little flump society, uh, which is perhaps in a inside of a strange chrome dome that is buried beneath the earth. And there's flashing lights inside that you're just like you're, your PC is going to be like, this is weird. This is a strange magical thing. But then the players are all going alien spaceship, alien spaceship. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Um, there is actually, if you're playing um, earlier editions, like 3.5 or Pathfinder, there is a, uh, there's a really great supplement. The book is called Misfit Monsters Redeemed. And it had flumps in it that redefined, like went into depth about what a flump is and where it comes from and how to really use it. It had the uh, the wolf in sheep's clothing, which is another kind of joke, almost like a joke, silly creature from uh, from Expedition of the Barrier Peaks. Makes it absolutely horrifying. It is like one of the most horrifying things that I have ever seen in a D&D game. Makes you very uncomfortable inside in this really interesting ways. Um, so... So you can look at other there there this idea has been explored since the beginning is my point from Expedition of the Barrier Peaks first edition second edition third Pathfinder fourth fifth like there are all these ideas that you can bring in 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 fourth edition too they had the idea of like druids and kind of that nature powered that primal power source was diametrically opposed to really this uh, not just protecting the earth against say like encroaching corruption from like say a city but protecting this reality from other realities that are not natural like not natural to this dimension which i thought was a fascinating take on this concept of what what a druid might actually be like druids facing cthulhu is this fascinating idea of what is quote unquote normal natural for this dimension versus what is alien in another dimension right which i think is incredible i think one of the the words that I, comes to my mind as we're having that discussion is unknown because there's a lot of things that you could consider alien when you have a D&D game but they're known quantity so they're not like bringing in elementals that is possibly the most alien thing I could think of if you think of our world and our reality like there's just a rock creature now that is the most alien thing like you could think of because we're I mean as a, a as humans, like we're kind of dismissive of rocks to a degree. They're just rocks would be right, a thing right. people would say, but now it's alive, but everyone yeah. knows what an earth elemental is. So it's not really that alien. So I think figuring out those things that are unknown to your players is, or is kind of a good place to draw inspiration from. Yeah. The other thing is which direction are you going? Because we kind of keep talking about things showing up, but what if your players are going somewhere else? 
Yes. Because if you go to a completely alien planet, you can change small things on a broad spectrum that makes it feel alien. Yes. Like, what if there, I think, Rich, this is a conversation you and I had at some point, but what if there are no eyes? What if there's oh, yes. just these pads that like are a different type of sense that is completely alien? And this is an idea that was introduced to me through, um, and you've, you guys, in, if you've heard my past episodes, I have talked about this role-playing game called Blue Planet, um, which is a sci-fi role-playing game setting, which actually, by the way, is having its third edition is under production right now, which I'm super excited about. Uh, it's been 20 years. So, but one of the things on this planet, this alien planet they're on, is that this compound eye concept that we developed, that mammals developed and, and other animals developed here, didn't develop on that world. Meaning all the creatures, even though they might look mammalian or they might be like a mammal analog, all have just eye spots that sense light. That's and that's it. Was, yep. So you have like a thing that looks kind of like a monkey, but then it turns around and it literally has no eyes and it's just got spots and is looking at you. And it's this perfectly reasonable scientific explanation of the the history of this particular world that horrifies us and makes us question like to us, you know, the eyes are the windows to the soul, right? So what does that even, what does that mean? How does that change our fundamental view of what this thing is and, and who it is and who we are in this simple basic idea? It's incredible. So I feel like the discussion on the eye spots is a fantastic place to uh, kind of open up the conversation with you're you're running your players through a campaign in your world and you are ready to introduce to them whether they um, are aware that it's an alien encounter or not. But you've got to ask yourself, like, okay, how do I make this encounter with creatures that are completely alien here? How do I make that encounter feel alien itself? And I feel like there's a whole bunch of things that you can ask yourself, like, with how does that encounter go? Talking about, like, what is the, if you're actually going to speak with these creatures and interact with them rather than just get into a battle with them, you can ask yourself, what is the culture of these creatures? Language. Uh, language could be a huge a huge barrier because they don't come from here. Behavior could be completely different. And honestly, when you talk about like an ambassador needing to know like another culture before going in and like talking to the other culture, like that could lead, unfortunately, whether it's your fault or their fault to an, a violent encounter because behavioral norms aren't known. But mm -hmm. even like armor, weapons, things like this, what are what are some things that you you guys, if you were introducing your players to an alien race or just an alien creature that you would ask yourself to make that encounter feel strange, weird, totally outside of the world that we're, you're playing in? So you, you, you're walking this thin line, right? You can describe something as completely alien to a point where you can keep a barrier between your players and the story you're trying to tell, right? So looking at movies that deal with this, and there, there are a few of them that deal with this, but one of them is the movie Arrival, uh, which is brilliant. And it's this these strange alien creatures, these spaceships, that, or we think they're spaceships, that have landed on Earth and the way language is presented and the way their bodies are presented and how they're communicating and trying to communicate with aliens. Like it's, it's literally an alien, uh, alien movie ab about linguists <laughs> who take linguistics 
and uh, try to cross these barriers. And it does lead to some conflict. It does lead to some some conflict because of a misunderstanding and translation between languages. But you have to have something something that the players can hold on to and, and understand, even if it's as simple as, we believe these aliens want to make peaceful contact with us. That's the only thing we know. But that gives a motivation, right? It, it can be tough if you drop players into a completely alien world and then give them no direction, no idea, nothing, I hate to say it, but nothing quote-unquote human, right? Understandable motivation to hold on to. Um, it's important to do that. Even, even in Descent of Midnight in our alien worlds, we're dealing with human concepts we can relate to. Uh, hope, uh, community, altruism, isolation, all of these things are, are sometimes literal stats in the game or conditions that are you impose in the game or other things. These are things that we as humans can understand even though we're in another alien world. So making sure you don't cross that boundary too much. But the most e the easiest things to jump to in my mind are things like changing the technology, right? So for us, it's bioengineering. And this has always been a fascinating concept to me. Um, there's a book, I believe it's called West of Eden, which talks about this idea of what if humans didn't develop and the dinosaurs evolved into a sapient, sentient race um, and their technology was all based on bioengineering. Like, uh, it, it was a fascinating idea. If anybody way back in the day played Space Hulk, you know, with the, the gene stealers and whatnot, their, yes. te their technology is all based on bioengineering as well. So you can change the things that, again, are expectations. Like a metal sword... That might be really alien to these aliens because they're, you know, they're taking little bioengineered beetles and sticking them in a tube and firing them at you and they explode into acid and they don't know what metal, they don't use metal. They don't, never needed to use it. Or in a movie like The Abyss where the technology seems to be based on the concept of hardening water into solidified forms that's not ice, like they flow, but they're hard and they can carry current and all these things that we use metals for, but they use salt water for. Um so that's the, to me, that's a first go-to, like alien bioships or, or aquatic waterships or things like that that change the technology as a way to make it feel alien at first. Uh, and then when you kind of get that idea, then thinking into the psychology of the, the creature and the story that you want to tell, what is the motivation? Why are you even adding them in there? Why do you want it to be alien? Why do you need it for your story to be alien? Right? And make sure that that's plugging into the goals or the through line of the story that you're trying to tell. My big thing to think about would be a concept that we've mentioned before. I don't know the last time we've brought it up, but basically if there is a check or a piece of information that you don't want your players to completely fail or completely succeed, don't have them roll. Mm -hmm. So then if you don't want them to be like, oh, well, I roll this and now I know all these things don't allow for that roll. But also right. think of alternative things because the issue with that is to just not fall completely into a narrative where you're you're basically reading a book to them about these aliens, but they're not going to know. So you have to figure out what you think they could be rolling. So it's an insight check. And maybe a, even a very successful insight check is you can kind of read their body language. Yeah. And giving them small clues be, that you would maybe have, but definitely not like, oh, you're from the planet Xenon 5. And it's like, well, no, no one can know that. These, right. are, sure. these are brand new aliens that show up. Or the other thing is being so unsuccessful that they have no idea what the body language is. And now do we start? Right. We roll initiative because you allowed them to roll a, a, a nat one. Yeah. Figuring that picking, out. Picking somebody who's got, if we're talking about a D&D &D 
you know, D&D's fifth edition specific game, like basically looking at, you know, their passive, like a passive insight or a passive perception, like anybody uh, who has a passive insight of this of 15 or higher is going to have this basic piece of information that you're going to give them that, you know, if they only have this piece of information, if they only have this one thing, it will move the plot forward. And then if they roll actually higher, then you can give them a little bit more layers or give them a resource, like give them some kind of points, right? Where that they can say, okay, now we're in a new situation. I want to give you this point because I rolled really high on my insight check to, to know what he's doing now. How does what I knew before apply to this situation 24 hours later? Like, am I getting building, like scaffolding education about the aliens, right? And what they're looking for and what they're doing uh, is a way to go. But keeping, making sure that you're keeping the, keeping the emphasis on the player's actions but also keeping your through line of your story moving forward and not having, which is basic, basic really gaming, I think, 101, like making sure that the players can move forward and don't just sit around the table going, I don't know what's happening and we missed all our roles, right? I love the idea of uh, the body language, trying to like determine what body language uh, these alien creatures are like portraying because with an alien, our interpretation of their body language could be completely wrong, if not totally opposite. I imagine these PCs walking through this strange alien spaceship that has been landed for years and encountering a creature that looks completely horrifying and it turns and it like opens its three mouths and, and roars at you with, with these sharp teeth and they just go, all right, time to attack. Not knowing that these things are not carrying weapons because they're completely pacifist and never have come across violence at all. And this is just their their typical greeting of, of saying hello and present like, or perhaps they're screaming because they are, is the first creatures beyond themselves that they've encountered and they are just afraid of. Um, but then yes. that miscommunication can lead to terrible situations uh, because of that yeah well there's there's actually in descent to midnight with that particular engine there's a lot of things you can do and and one of the things uh, they have as a basic premise of the mechanic even though every powered by the apocalypse game is actually very 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 different it uses a similar mechanic and in this mechanic there's something called moves so you tell the story in this narrative right you're just sitting around the you're sitting around the table may not even be looking at your character sheet you're just telling the story about what's happening and then you may bump into some mechanics and then at that point you resolve some things one of the moves that we have in descent to midnight is called what have we done and that's when at the end of a game uh, or at the end of a session or maybe even in the middle of a session depending on what's going on um, some player is contemplating the consequences of the actions that they took and this thing that you're talking about right here, like, say they run into this creature and they, they fight this creature and they, they kill this creature, right? Well, that's okay, but it doesn't, have any, it doesn't have any meaning to the players unless it's put in context immediately, or at least very quickly afterwards. Understanding that was a child, maybe, if, if you want to go in that direction. Or understanding that was the ambassador who was sent, you know, to, like, meet uh, you know, or or understanding like pretty quickly, like, wait a minute, this used to be like thousands and thousands or, or 
a million years ago, this species used to be incredibly violent. That's why they had these sharp teeth. But they have they have evolved socially way beyond that to the point where they don't even remember that. We just have these teeth. They're just we just use them to eat. Like we we don't use them for weapons. Like that was a that was just a byproduct. You yeah, know, maybe, maybe they're even vegetarians. But the the plant that they eat needs. Like it's Thank you. strong bark, it's so, so it needs some sharp yeah. teeth to break through that. But yep. to us, it's completely menacing. Yes, exactly. And that's great because now you're deconstructing. Okay, so why? Asking, constantly asking the question why. They have the sharp teeth. Why would they have these if not for weapons, right? If I want the players to assume that they're weapons and I don't want them to be weapons, where does that go from? And it takes some time to sit and think about where those things are coming from, Right. Um, the, another thing that you can do is, is again, take a, and we've talked about this in the past, the player agency episodes and other things that we've talked about, talk to the, ask the players, say like, I know that this, this is my storyline. This is my alien, right? These are the plot points I want to get across. I have an idea that this is an alien thing. Ask the players, this is, you, you walk into a room and you see this creature and there's something incredibly alien about this creature you tell me what about this creature is alien to you, your player. What jumps out at you first about this creature? And that way the player gets to actually put in their information. They could say like, oh, spindly limbs are really, you know, alien to this particular player, right? Or they have no physical body. Like it could be anything. But if your plot points and the general kind of idea or culture that you're looking to get across are bullet points that you can connect. And that's just a the, the set dressing for that story that you're telling is irrelevant. And, and you can give those the players this idea that they can give some extra information that may inspire you to go even deeper with the, with the, uh, with the alien that you're, that you're doing. So take some of the work off of yourself and make it even more horrifying for the players by making them mess themselves up. I love that. To go back to technology too. I love the idea that the technology that they come that you can come across with alien creatures can be so advanced that perhaps it's not even detectable to um, a, a regular adventuring party who's who's dressed up in uh, metal armor with metal swords and uh, goes in for the attack and all of a sudden their sword stops two feet from the face of the creature because they have a they have this force field around them right and now they're going. <laughs> what we can't even right. hit these things like right. what's what's going on here right and that for me i would look at i would look at something so if i have a fighter who's used to fighting or a barbarian who's cliche you know that's cliche stereotypical standard barbarian who just likes to fight and kill things or whatever hopefully well i don't know you can make fun interesting characters with that too but if i have that player who wants to play that character you can if i'm going to negate like the thing that the player came to the the table to to enjoy themselves doing I want to lean heavier into something else that they also enjoy doing to solve the problem, right? So, okay, you're a survival expert and a barbarian, and you love to, like, beat on things. Okay, well, I'm going to take the beat on things out of this encounter, but I want you to use, I want to use other things besides your sword, so I'm going to lean into your survival instincts, tell you something about the animal in which this creature was created from, or that this is really an alien pet, and you realize that it's actually domesticated and what creature would domesticate this you know or something else so you can make sure that you're not just completely just shutting down a player's you know reason they come to the table entirely hopefully they're not just a one-trick pony and you can lean into something else or help them explore some other ideas or their own history or something that makes it interesting for the player 
<laughs> I just had this funny thought, um, just even looking at the way that creatures in this world like interact with each other that are different from like people. Um, I have two cats and uh, the way that they show love to each other and communicate is, is different than like people would uh, to the point where sometimes you'd think that they are like fighting, but they're just playing with each other. And yeah. I imagine like having an interaction with an alien creature and it starts going really well. And you're like, Oh, this, I think we're doing a good job. And all of a sudden they turn around and start attacking you. <laughs> and you're like, what did we do? But it's actually just their way of showing affection of like, right. all right, it's time, it's time to, uh, it's time to wrestle. It's time to, it's time right. to spar. This is, this is our way of telling you that you have succeeded, uh, in gaining our affection, mm-hmm. but then that could just turn so, so bad, so quick right. without that understanding. Say you have an alien, I mean, an alien, we go back to these sharp teeth or sharp claws. Maybe now it's part of their social structure, right? In, in Star Wars and some of the, you know, the earlier novels and stuff, they, they talked about this idea that, that Wookiees have these enormous claws. They could they could just gut you with these claws. And it's something that they had in the past. But and and they use them to climb now, like they're brilliant climbers. Wonderful. They live on Kashyyyk with these big it makes perfect sense. Culturally, if a Wookiee pulls those claws out for to use as a weapon, it is it is a horrifying, horrifying idea of this loss of control, this loss, this primalness of who you are, and it becomes a social uh, and even legal stigma and issue, right? Even though they have these things, they don't use them, right? And they don't use them for a particular cultural reason. If you have this alien with these big teeth or claws or something, and they go, and they also happen to have really thick skin, so they think they're just clapping you on the back or giving you a handshake equivalent, but they don't realize that you don't have, you know, chitinous armor on the outside and are kind of squishy, so they end up hurting someone really badly when they, they're really just welcoming them, right? Great idea. Fascinating idea. All right. So I think this is a great idea to talk about specific ideas that we have for kinds of quests a DM could send their PCs on based off of alien life, encountering alien life, whatever it is. So uh, do we have any new ideas of adventures based on alien life that uh, come to mind? Yeah, one thing that comes up in Descend to Midnight Games periodically is this idea of these traveling beings that are returning to a city uh, for a particular reason. So one of the first times I heard this idea, and it's funny, like certain ideas get reintroduced in very di- in different ways. But one of the one of the games that I ran very early on, a couple of years ago when we first started designing, had basically whale philosophers that travel around the world and stop at cities. And it's like a holiday for these cities when these philosophers show up uh, and they impart wisdom and bring news and they do whatever, whatever, whatever works, you know, for your city. And, and in, in the, the instigating event, the instigating um, event was the idea that the whales hadn't shown up for this one city and they had to figure out what was going on. So this made me think of this idea for um, like maybe not aliens who are trying to invade your world. What if... What if every thousand years, these extra dimensional beings or these aliens from another planet or these things like a, like a returning comet come to your world, right? Maybe you know about it. Maybe some people know about it and some people don't. Maybe some people have built up a end of the world 
you know, cult about it and some people are looking forward to it. Maybe there's all kinds of things that could be wrapped up in it, but if it's been a long enough period of time and there's like human elf dwarf conflict in between the thousand years of the return, who knows how people view it now, right? But having this thing that may be actually beneficial or maybe something important or maybe this alien civilization comes back to the planet to see if you've advanced far enough to, you know, for them to help boost you up in a particular way. You know, something like that, where you have this returning thing that's happening that people are looking forward to. Neil, you're laughing. The funny concept is they just show up, nah, you guys suck, and then just fly off. Yeah. See you in a thousand years. They just have a clipboard, and they're like, nope, it's just, no, can't go to the next. Okay, we're good. Right. Something to that extent. Yeah, but so using your aliens in a different way than some of the other ways, like, than just an invasion, right? Not that invasions can't be great. And also, what is an alien, right? There was this great Dragon Magazine uh, things, and I talk about it all the time, the Githyanki War, where the Githyanki are invading your particular world. Uh, it's so amazing. And, and the Githyanki are alien, right? They're kind of humanoid, but they are from they have an ancient culture that's from a whole other dimension and that kind of thing, and their technology is bizarre and weird, and, and they use a lot of psionics and not a lot of divine magic, and in a D&D world, that's weird, right? At least before Dark Sun. So, yeah. Really, really different ways that you can do it. What do you guys think? I have three different ideas for cool, I think, adventures based off of alien life. The first is just kind of flipping that script and just going, all right, kind of going along with Descendant of Midnight. You're the aliens, but we're going to play the story about how these aliens came to my homebrew world. We're going to tell that tale. I mean, you could do what Descendant of Midnight does there and, and have your players create a whole new race of aliens that then you can use in your world or you could tell the story of the mind flares or the flumps or whatever coming to your world why they came was it an accident well like and their first days and maybe let that if you haven't already determined how those that aberration that alien race fits into your world let that adventure determine how those that race interacts with your world I love that. The other idea I have is uh, an alien spaceship dungeon crawl. Uh, Perhaps it's been there for the longest amount of time, so there's vines covering all the chrome, so you think it's just a plant-filled dungeon until you reach a point and there's some reveal that this is a under the vines, under the plant growth, there's something more. Uh, and then my my final idea is based off of the misinterpretation of behavior. I'd love to play an adventure where you set your PCs on this quest that they find out some sort of knowledge of the past of why Alien X is maybe at war with mankind, uh, Elvenkind, Dwarvenkind, all of them together, whatever it is, and to find out that perhaps that war was started just by a simple miscommunication or maybe there's something deeper that there maybe beholders are at war with the people of your world because of some prophecy that was fulfilled with their first meeting um, of people and it was maybe a nonsensical prophecy of I'm thinking like they have a prophecy of the waving of of five points will, signify the end of your race and you get this glimpse perhaps of through some alien technology of the first interaction with people and 
they start waving their hands at the beholders and they look at each other like, that's it. That's the end of our race. We have to fight back. Um, and therein lies a 10,000 year war between beholders and, and people because of this simple misunderstanding. I love that as a idea. And then what do your players do with that information from there? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So I love the idea that the Barrier Peaks is also just like the way Transformers works. Transformers crashed their alien ship like a million years ago, and then they're in stasis, and then a volcano happens, and then they pop out of the 80s. <laughs> it's always but, the 80s. I mean, it's the, I mean, it's the same concept, <laughs> but so I, I, I really do like reintroducing and uncovering because yeah. it's this weird sense of something that's been there for a really long time, but then is also still technologically advanced, but then also has these weird monsters and aliens and things. I think that's probably my number one go-to. Or having, like we discussed, your players show up on a world where there's just a little bit different, and now they're like, I don't know what to do, and I'll never know what to do. Please take me home. Nice. Definitely makes me think that whoever wrote uh, Transformers definitely played through the Barrier Peaks. I was just thinking when you were talking about that, like, what if, like, um, the Warforged from Eberron or something of that sort, why don't you change the origin for your homebrew world or even in Eberron? I don't know how that would affect the Eberron campaign. Uh, but maybe they they were part of this spaceship that crashed and they they woke up. Or they, they know, we know that we come from this one country in this one place. And maybe part of your adventure is like figuring out, you know, the origins of this race and you get there and it's a spaceship, right? It's got to be a great idea, Rich, because literally the last episode that we recorded was with Jeremy Crawford about Eberron and one of and um, about Warforged from Eberron. And one of his suggestions was having the Warforged show up in the spaceship from Barrier Peak. Oh, all right. Well, so, there you go. So clearly it is a great idea that we all should right. all be using. Me and Jeremy Crawford. Done. On the same page. Mm -hmm. Nice. Speaking of pages, how about some homework pages? Oh, sounds good. You like good. that segue? That okay. Was, that was great. Rich, you've already dropped a lot of interesting things, but if you have some more that our listeners could go watch, read, interact with on better understanding how to put alien life in their games. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, Blue Planet. Um, one of the thing, one of the supplements from the original second edition Blue Planet is called Ancient Echoes, and it's a it's a species supplement for cetaceans, so dolphins that have been uplifted, and they do it just a brilliant job. Even from when it was written back in the '90s, they do this brilliant job of talking about how to not play dolphins as humans in a dolphin suit, how they are comp different in their ideas, their their humor, their all that kind of stuff. It's a really really interesting uh, read. I highly recommend it. You can get it on PDF. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up is that Goodman Games is actually bringing back Barrier Peaks. So they are doing a hardback 5th edition updated version with new art and other things as well. And you can I'll give a link to that. I actually just, just uh, pre-ordered that. But another book that popped into my mind from that I read when I was a kid that you reminded me of, Mitch, is called Code of the Life Maker. And when you said, what if, what if the humans or the player characters are the aliens? And in Code of the Life Maker, there is a spaceship that crashes on a moon in our solar system. It's either moon of Saturn or Jupiter um, that has no oxygen. It's got like a methane atmosphere and blah, blah, blah. Um, and this uh, it's a factory ship that's made to self-perpetuate self robots to actually collect resources and send those resources back to this other alien world, right? 
But what ends up happening is is that something something weird happens with the ship when it lands on this on this moon, um, and it never sends anything back. And then over a million years, these robots actually de- develop into a culture and become sapient. The thing is, humans go to this moon when they realize there's some signals or something coming from this moon. Humans go to this moon. And the the robots that live there think aliens are think humans are this incredibly powerful race of beings because they're literally walking around in suits filled with oxygen, and oxygen oxidizes and breaks down the metals in these robots. Oxygen doesn't exist on this world for a reason, and it's one of the reasons the robots can perpetuate. So we're to them, we're walking around in a suit filled with acid basically. And so it's this different idea of what they are and their religion and what their religion ends up developing and how they kind of develop these organic creatures that were the machines while they're the machines that are the equivalent of the organic creatures. Uh, it was fa- My emotional memory of the book is that it was fascinating to me and kind of really flipped a lot of ideas and concepts on, on, on its head. Uh, it's called Code of the Life Maker. I sent a link over. Uh, of course, uh, Neil, I think, already has a link to that clipping um, song. You can find lots of things, and we're going to be including a lot of a lot of resources in Descent into Midnight too. Um, depending on kind of how you want to do your alien worlds, there are like again, Arrival, the movie Arrival, fantastic movie to look at. How do you make something that's so entirely weird and not human, and and present it in a way that can still move plot points forward? And one of the things that they do in there is that they they figure out a couple things about the language, and then they skip ahead like two months. Or something like that. And they're like, so in your game, you can be like, oh, you find this little piece of information that you know about the aliens. And now let's let's make this skip ahead six weeks, two months. And now your research. So we don't have to just play through all the research that you're doing every minute. And then this is the extra information that you have to be able to take care of things, you know, or this is the new information I want to give you. These are things that you discovered over time um, to move the plot forward at some kind of easy pace. I think those are my main recommendations. For me, it's always a, a bittersweet thing that I feel like most episodes of the Dungeon Master's Block, I end going, man, I could keep talking about this. There's so much at, that maybe even we didn't even cover. And I think over this episode, we covered a lot of an idea of your your PCs encountering, coming and stumbling upon or like intentionally encountering alien life forms. Uh, but I want to flip it on its head, and we didn't even dis- we didn't even talk about like the idea of alien life forms being the ones to initiate that encounter. We didn't talk about alien abductions, things that we could go so much into Absolutely. depth. So I'm gonna say for that kind of inspiration, check out podcasts like Mysterious Universe and all the alien abduction hokey stories that they have uh, on there, and go. How am I going to? implement this into a D&D game, uh, or our friends over at Astonishing Legends, but also not just to take the classic, this is a scary thing, but you could literally have an alien encounter where the aliens, whether it's you coming across them or they coming across you, can be a positive thing. I think of go checking out plenty of Marvel and DC comics and how you have people from Earth encountering uh, alien life forms through that. I even think of uh, Hal Jordan uh, coming across that spaceship, but there had been alien encounters previously from that storyline, and perhaps you can create a whole adventure based off of alien life forms giving you a specific, your players, a specific power or duty now that 
goes beyond your own world. Speaking of podcasts, though, I want to add two more to that list because that's a great idea. One of them is called uh, Giannis Descending. Absolute must. It's about 13 episodes uh, about uh, two scientists who land on an alien world. Uh, Another one is the Tides podcast, which is about a marine biology scientist on another alien on on an alien uh, ocean world. And she gets trapped there because her her submarine gets destroyed and she's waiting to be rescued. But she's running into things that are not human and they're alien. Um, There's some brilliant, brilliant podcasts out there. Uh, Girl in Space is another interesting (gasps) one. Yes. Girl in Space is so good. Um, go check that out. Or if you're looking for a little bit more stuff on the humorous end, even, um, you could check out We Fix Space Junk, the kind of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of style aliens. We Fix Space Junk is great. So Tide's podcast, Giannis Descending is a great kind of horror, interesting uh, alien situation going on. There's a lot of really good girl in space. Go check out some of those podcasts and who knows what you'll pull out. I mean, they're not fantasy related. They're science fiction related, but you know, you can pull any kind of idea in that out of, from those brilliant podcasts and put them in. Yep. And I'll I'll hit it fast. Comic book. Go check out Oblivion Song. Basically, it's a device where a dimension is brought in like 10 blocks of Chicago are switched with like 10 blocks worth of this alien world. And they're still trying to go back and forth and save people. Um, Yes. Uh, Game. Starcraft. Because it shows you two very distinctly different types of aliens that people start interacting with at basically the same time. Yeah. Just the mindless or hive mind zerg and then the super technologically advanced almost samurai like in their way protoss um for tv shows i will kick it way old school you should go watch the invaders from the twilight zone and i will tell you nothing more but you should go do that also watch rick and morty (laughs) all they do all the time is interact with aliens it's very comical it's way over the top but there's definitely a lot of things that you could draw out of that for inspiration and super pertinent to D &D right now Boom. But hey, we have one more question and it's the most important question, Rich. Yeah. Where can people go to find you on the internet and all the cool stuff you're doing? Nice. Mostly you can find me on Twitter at Umbral Walker, U-M-B-R-A-L-W-A-L-K-E-R. Um, you can find me there on Twitter. You can also find us through the Descent into Midnight Twitter feed, which is at D-I-M- RPG. That's D-I-M-R-P-G. You can also go check out Descent into Midnight. You can play it right now. Go check it out. Uh, it's descentintomidnight.com. Uh, you can find the, I think it's the f- version 4 playtest packet. Um, and you can just play, play a game yourself at home uh, or check out links to all the other things. And of course, please check out the Kickstarter. Well, Rich, we hope to have you back sometime soon in the future. Appreciate it. Always a great time, guys. Thanks so much. As always, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block and, of course, enjoyed having Rich Howard back on the show to just glean all of the wisdom that he has. If you as a listener would like to write into us and let us know about how you introduced an alien life form to your group in your game, then you can get in touch with us at DungeonMasterBlock at gmail.com. Send us an email and tell us all about it. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places will have updates about the show so you can know everything that you need to know. As always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like Geek Wars, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, DMnastics, and more. 
And that's all that we have for you on this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm your host, DM Mitch, reminding you to always keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.